0: If you have the ability to set a vision, if you have an ability to inspire others, if you have the ability to get the best out of your team and understand the market and all these various things that Sue and Xanthi have all talked about, that puts you in a position to lead. The choice for you is what do you do with that?
1: Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a place where creative leaders can find insights and practical guidance on the day-to-day job of being a creative leader. We focus on real issues, topics, and insights of creativity in the business world. Join me as we explore the best strategies for developing your team, getting others to embrace your vision, and generating amazing experiences. This webinar series is produced by The Stoke Group. I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Adobe Executive Creative Director and author of Sorry Spock Emotions Drive Business. And this is Real Creative Leadership. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have you all here. Thank you so much for joining Behind the Scenes with Creative Leaders, How They Got Here, a special session on creative careers. This event is brought to you by Real Creative Leadership, a video podcast and community where we give real-world guidance on how to succeed as a creative leader, especially after you get a seat at the leadership table. In short, we're helping create a new breed of leaders so that together we can make a bigger creative dent in business. I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Executive Creative Director at Adobe. Real Creative Leadership is produced by the Stoke Group, a full service, global digital marketing content creation agency with offices in Salt Lake City, LA, San Francisco, Boston, and New York. Every member of the Stoke team has helped contribute to this event from procuring and funding the research we're about to share with you, as well as helping out with our panelists, including me, to set us up for success. I'm super grateful to be in partnership with the Stoke Group for this event and for each webcast we produce together. And today I'm very excited to share with you three special guests that I'm thrilled to introduce. Our first is Xanthi Wells, the Senior, creative, the senior Director and Global Executive Creative Director at Google. She was recognized by AdAge as, as a 2019 woman to watch and as the industry's one of the 40 under 40. Business Insider also listed her as one of the 30 most creative women in advertising, but beyond all the accolades in my experience in just my short time working with Xanthi, is I've just experienced a bold leader, who cares deeply about others and is willing to help with their careers. Santhi, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks. Yay.
1: <laughs> All right, next we have the illustrious Sue Boivin, former executive creative director at Microsoft. She has worked with debt for decades on some of the most beloved brands, winning big awards and making a big impact on business. But what she seems to focus on more these days is working with the brightest minds in the business and being able to guide and mentor many of them. She really cares about their careers and other people, which makes her a perfect expert for today's discussion. Sue, a huge thank you for being with us. Hello. And last but not least, I'm excited to have Chase Jarvis, the founder and CEO of Creative Live. It's been, I've been a huge fan personally of Chase for years. And on his podcast, I feel like you've personally introduced me to amazing people like Brene Brown and Austin Kleon. Chase is an award-winning photographer. That's where he started, but he's also a best-selling author. I don't know if you can see, we got his book right there. Um, his book, Creative Calling, is super inspiring. Everyone, please go buy a copy and read it. I've, I've loved it. So Chase, a humble bow to you for being
0: on our show. Thank you so much for having me, excited to be here.
1: Excellent, all right, we've got the pleasantries out of the way. So let me give you, uh, as you read in the title today, we're gonna be discussing creative careers. And for those who joined me this past week at MAX, where I walked through all the various paths you can take as a creative person, just think of this as like uh, session 2.0 on this topic. So, but let me give you a little bit of background as to why we're doing this session. So unlike other careers, a creative career can seem a bit wild and organic. I get it, like most of the people I've met, it's just like they've fallen into this career and or they didn't even know about it early on. Um, But for many of us, it's like a a -a whack-a-mole, like just different jobs and gigs and things pop up and we're just taking whatever we can. And the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. So as a follow-up to that Max talk, we decided to prepare for today's event and we commissioned a formal research project where we interviewed hundreds of creative leaders across the country just to find insights on how you can better prepare to continue your creative career. So this is not just for like those starting out. This could be for those who are deep in a career or those who are looking for new guidance on their next step. We also wanted to bust some of the myths that we have about creative careers. So that didn't get in the way of your career planning. And then to discuss the research that we came up with, we brought together this group of of uber successful creative uh, leaders to get their personal perspective on the research and also some personal stories from their experience of how they made it in the business. So I hope you're just as excited as me to dig in. And also we have uh, a chat here on the side with other people from Real Creative Leadership on the team. If you want to ask some questions, go ahead, stay engaged in the chat pot and they are there to help you out. All right, so now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the chitty chatting. All right, one of the big questions we have when starting out on this research is the topic of skills. What does it take to become a creative leader? Our assumption is that much of the internet gets this wrong. Like I've done searches on the internet of like, how to become a creative director. And almost all the time, the advice is just be really, really good at the craft. And then eventually poof, you'll be a creative director. Like that's that's kind of what it is. It's focused all on the craft. We know that as creative leaders, it's so much more than that. It's not just the craft, that's the starting point. So we wanted to find the real answers of what skills you need. All right, according to our study, the top skills of a creative leader are number one, creating a vision for the company or team, that makes sense. Followed by an understanding of finance and number three, skills in marketing strategy. What, hold on a second here. So two of these top three skills aren't even creative skills. So to be a creative leader, we have to learn finance and marketing. Xanthi, let's toss this over to you. Is this true? Do we really need to know finance and marketing?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think all those are true to some degree. Um, I think though, at least for me, when I kind of, those are kind of skills, hard skills. But when I look at um, successful creative leaders, I think it has to do with character traits Mm -hmm. Um, and being an exceptionally good listener. I think I would rank number one. Um, and, And when you're an exceptionally good listener, you're listening for how does finance work? How does resourcing work? What's the strategy? And you're listening for, you know, all the answers. And then more specifically, you're confident in your own, your own, uh, ability. So you're able to listen to your teams, you're able to listen to your peers, people above you, people below you, clients. Um, and I think that that is the one skill that is the most essential when I look at it. I think the second second being just extreme being extremely confident in your own ability and talent, because I think too often people rise really quickly and they haven't really achieved the kind of success that would make them truly, feel good about themselves. So they're still trying to prove themselves rather than serve the team. And I think when you're, you've are you gotten to a place where you're ready to serve the team, you can be a leader. Yeah,
1: oh, that's awesome. I, I think you're right. Like it is a balance of hard and soft skills. And I think that's kind of the, oftentimes when, when I talk about it, it's like the hard skills are the, the creative skills of design or writing or whatever, you, you gotta get those. Those are the foundation, but there's so many soft skills, from yeah. vision, leading team, all of that. Here's another interesting stat. 62% of creative leaders say that creative professionals at their company have to move out of the creative field in order to advance to an executive level position. So that means the more we grow as leaders, the more we have to move past those core core skills of design and storytelling, and we have to actually learn business skills. Sue, what are your thoughts on this topic?
3: I think you need to understand how to run a business. Hmm. That's just sort of table stakes at at that level. because this is a business and you're not just, you know, in it for the glamor. If you want to keep your team happy, if you want to have them not overworked, not burned out, you have to know how to manage workload and resource allocation and the fundamentals of running a profitable department. Uh, I also think you have to be able to estimate the time to do the work against a given budget, which is really critical you have to be able to create an SOW to be able to read an SOW you know have to know when it's right for like that change order or to negotiate you know scope creep mm-hmm. these are things like hiring the right vendors and vendor management is really important to know um and making sure the team has all the right tools and the info to do their job and know the signs when something's going off the rails is really important and you you learn that by just like like Xanthia said, um, listening and really learning and honing your craft as you sort of move along your career path. Um, you also have to understand production costs, timelines, pro- and what's really important is protocols and company compliance, know, you know, know those things of, um, especially the businesses you're working on, the business you're working for. Your responsibilities, I think, in this area increase beyond the day-to-day creative demands as you move up and along that career path. And um, I think it's really important also to uh, know your company's, you know, basically business priorities and what to focus on while making decisions for your team. Mm -hmm. I've often, like, I'm gonna riff off what Xanthia said, and that is I've often thought that great creative leaders seem to have seven or more areas of excellence Or I like to call them pistons, and all those pistons have to be firing at the same height, at the same level all the time. And um, one of them is, yeah, being an incredible listener. Um, Obviously, you know, having creative acumen and knowledge on all the different creative disciplines. Um, Critical is relationship building abilities. I think that's really critical to, you know, for your clients and for for the people you work with. Being able to create, you know, creative strategies, brand strategies, sometimes business strategies, um, marketing strategies, general business knowledge of the clients that you're working for, or the products that you're working for, or the businesses that you're working for, Um, having to be a a psychologist and a therapist, Um, Mm -hmm. understanding, having to be understanding and empathetic the ability to create clarity and the ability to create calm. And I think those are also really important um, for this job. Um, Interestingly enough, there is a joke in the business where you start your career in Adobe Cloud using all those apps. And as your career moves along, you add on Microsoft 365 and Google Docs. And as you hit the creative director level, you have all these productivity apps, and you actually know how to use them. And Mm -hmm. I think um, that's really key as well. So yeah, I think as you grow and learn and and you adapt, you pick up all these different skill sets that are really, um, really make a well-rounded, you know, effective creative leader.
1: Wow. So if we have to be on top of all seven pistons and your list was actually longer than seven, that was like 3,000 pistons some, that we need to be Some days are better
3: in. than others. <laughs> Go up and like have that, like you're not gonna have it, you know, all together every day. Yeah, that's you're fair. Not like pull in what you need in the moment. So if you're talking to stakeholders, yeah. you're gonna show up very differently to those people than if you're talking to your team. Yep. So you have to kind of like constantly be, you know, moving. Yeah. I think
1: the takeaway definitely from this research and your response is to be a creative leader, you've got to have a lot of disciplines covered. You can't just be focused on the craft. Yeah. So, and Chase, yeah. you mentioned you may want to jump in real quick on this one before we- Yeah.
0: Move. I just want to throw one, one thing in there for consideration that we talk uh, culturally a little bit in this panel, but I I, I, I believe strongly in what Xanthians who are both talking about. I just want to characterize it slightly differently there's a belief in our culture that creativity is art and design and and that's where creativity stops. But some of the most creative activities that I've done in my life have to do with learning how to build a business and creating outcomes through personal experience and through working with others and through learning. So to think that craft is creative and everything else is not creative is a fundamental stumbling block culturally. And if you think and and take it face value, what Sue and Xanthi have talked about, like all those things are things that we have to create for ourselves. We have to create our awareness about these deficits. We have to create outcomes for our team. We have to create time and space for us to develop these skills, soft skills, leadership, all these things, they are skills just like anything else. Those are not personality traits. So just be wary when we're talking about craft, like the craft of creating good business is still a creative craft. It's just mm. a little bit different. I like to think that that we have to take charge of those things rather than be corks in the tide. So just a, an asterisk there and, and I couldn't agree more with all the different permutations that, that Xanthi and Sue were talking about. Perfect, awesome. That's,
3: really, that's a really good point. It, yeah. No matter what you're doing, you're gonna be creative.
0: Yeah, right. If creating means putting things together to form new and useful things, then that's business and empathy and connection. And sure, you know, creative cloud, but all these other things are within our, we're creating machines as people. And sometimes we forget that whether we're creating art or we're creating an outcome for our business.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll get into more aspects of that in in some further questions. I, I definitely want to dig in more on that. Well, let's let's shift gears a little bit. And first a shout out, there's so many great people from all around the world and we've had people from India and from Norway and other places chiming in. So thank you everyone for tuning in, even if it's like the middle of the night for you. All right, next question we have is self-care. So we talked to a hundred creative leaders or hundreds of creative leaders about the things that cause them to feel burnout. The number one cause of creative burnout is heavy workload followed by tight deadlines. So we get that question is, are we overworked as an industry or are we just a bunch of complaining wimps? Let's be real, so let's talk about this. And the solution to avoiding burnout is getting enough sleep and good diet. So Chase, you've talked a lot about this. Self-care on your show, self-care in your book. I know you've got like a short checklist of things we need to do as creative professionals to stay happy. Maybe can you just briefly share with us like a high-level guide on what to do for self-care?
0: Sure. Uh, um, well, you mentioned sleep and diet, and these are things that, that- People want to ignore um, because they're not sexy. But (laughs) if you, you know, dissect any great, successful and fulfilled person, member success and fulfillment don't necessarily go together. So if you want to dissect a top performer, they do these things in every discipline, whether it's building homes or uh, playing basketball or a creative career, self-care. It is literally at the core of any top performer. So it wouldn't be or shouldn't be different in anyone's mind who's thinking about what they want to do with a creative career. I want to, I, there's so many, you know, we could list, as you mentioned, there's a checklist and I have read about, wrote about it a lot in my book, Creative Calling, but I think the most important thing that's often overlooked is mindset. And mindset has to do with, um, mental health, mental awareness. A lot of the things that we talked about, some of those skills that Sue mentioned, you know, her seven pistons, <laughs> all those, if you, if you think about, again, top performers in any sphere, the skill differential is remarkably narrow, right? The, the, the best professional golfer, uh, and the second best professional golfer can, you know, strike a ball very similarly. But what distinguishes them and what I think is foundational for self-care is how do you take care of your mind? And, you know, this is a two million year old organ that's not put in our skull to make us happy. It's put in our skull to help us survive. And what we have to do as creators, uh, as humans, is get that thing to work for us and understanding things like the thoughts in your head. Those are not you. Those are thoughts. And those are part of that two million year old organ that says, when I put out this, post on Instagram or put my book or my piece, my poem out into the world, what responds worse, you know, our biology tells us that we have to look at any negative comment as a threat. Like it's a saber tooth tiger. I'm here to tell you that there are no saber tooth tigers that are going to get you. There's sure, you know, we, we have to pay attention to some things and fear is real, but most of this stuff can be managed. If you spend time and effort getting good at managing your mindset, this is mental health and all this stuff does boil down into, you know, sleep and diet and um and you know the things that are are typical trappings of taking care of our, our physical body. But so little is paid attention in our culture and specifically um, I think our industry about what it takes to have a great mindset. And this is, you know, these are tools like self-talk and meditation, mindfulness, awareness practice, all this stuff. Of course, it makes great leaders, but first we have to be great humans and this stuff is fundamental. So I'm a huge advocate of mindset and learning to control this thing between our ears rather than have it control us.
1: that's perfect. Well, well, clearly, if I just zen out here for a minute, I'm just having self-care, like I'm just fixing the little noodle between the ears here, so... No worries. But uh, if anyone wants to learn more, definitely go read the book. There's a lot of great in, uh, insight on that. Awesome. One well, next topic that we have is agency versus in-house, that whole thing. So here's the stat. 52% of creative directors at, brand, at a brand previously worked at an agency. And today there's, today there's an even mix of creative leaders at brands and at agencies with about 20% as freelance. So that's a big change from years past. Uh, I know, you know, at least in our industry, it seemed like so many more were all at agency and then we just had a small pocket in, in brands. But the world has changed. Sue and Xanthe, you both worked at an agency and then ended up at a brand. And I'd just like to walk us through briefly about your journey and why you made those, those decisions. Let's start with Sue first.
3: Yeah, um, like you said, I first started out in the business and the breadth of work was being done in agencies. And so I got to move around a lot and worked on a variety of different accounts and different types of brands. And I really learned to build upon each experience and hone my craft. And agencies are great because all those departments need to work together in order to be successful. And it's a great way to learn all aspects of the business and all of your clients' business. So I truly had a great career in agency and I I love agencies. Um, And depending on where you live, around six to eight years ago, there was a shift. And brands started to realize that Although they lean on agencies to do some of the work, and they still do, um, there might be cost-effective to bring all this expertise in-house and essentially have control over all aspects of the brand, the brand expression. Whereas agencies were doing some project work, in-house agencies were creating end-to-end experiences from product design to the product launches and all the campaigns in between. And so companies start hiring people from agencies that could help them achieve this. And now we have all these incredibly innovative companies like Adobe and Google and Amazon and Microsoft um, with all these incredibly talented creative thinkers and creative problem solvers. And they're just down the hall. And so essentially everyone's you know working together. And for me, that was super exciting. Um, it was also a trend. And so it is a survival mechanism that kicks in when you say what's going on in my industry I kind of got to be a little bit you know um, ahead of the game and so I was motivated to make the shift and I started talking to recruiters and reaching out to my network and this is where your network matters more than you know it's, it's <laughs> like something that you always going to rely on um, and at the time luckily enough I was working in an agency on a Microsoft account and I was running that account and so um a recruiter reached out to me and said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity on this new team called Microsoft 365. You wanna talk about it? And I was like, yeah, it's Microsoft. Yeah, of course. Um, But just like in an agency, you have a vested interest in the success of that product, but it's different in a sense that you are not only the agency and the brand and the brand steward, but you're also the client. And so you're living and breathing the brand and the product. And it, it, it's funny because it's different in the fact that those things become part of who you are because you're entrenched mm-hmm. in that environment. Um, for instance, when I was running Microsoft 365 security and, and in, in the uh, integrated marketing uh, team, um, I had my team actually worked hand in hand this is a difference than it is in an agency with product managers, product engineers, product designers, directors, GMs, you know, creating partnership opportunities, every single aspect of the marketing of the, for the market, the Microsoft 365 and security business. And that you don't get, you don't get that kind of experience in an agency. And I've talked to a lot of people who have gone back and forth. And um, I think it's great to have both types of experiences uh, for your career. Um, and as a leader, you get to impart all these different types of knowledge to your team, the differences, the similarities, why things work the way they do. Because you know, always hear about, oh, this client and this client, but it's really, you know, if you have that experience, you can actually impart that, the reasons why, you know, maybe a client is reacting this way. Um, I, I think having agency experience was, made it easier for me to actually move into the client side uh, because the skill sets are similar, but the structures are different. Um, The structure of the organization is different, the skill sets are still needed. Um, And I've seen people reinvent themselves moving from agency into in-house, like uh, writers becoming strategic planners and visual designers becoming product designers. And I think it's really cool aspect of what we do and i also feel like you have to look for those unique opportunities to reinvent but those things exist and so i totally if you have the the ability to do both i would highly recommend you know you know sort of um, rounding out your career that way
1: Cool, that's awesome xanthi give us maybe your take on moving from agency to to brand
3: sure
2: Um, Yeah, so I spent about seven years at Chai Day, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. I was probably the happiest job I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Uh, From there I went to a small boutique agency that had already been founded, had about two clients in LA. Um, I was there for about a year and a half, we sold the agency. That was an amazing experience, just learning about investor relations and how to actually sell an agency because I was a partner in it, so I went through that experience. And then I was really craving just great creative and going back to kind of my roots. So I joined Mal for Good uh, under Lee Clow. He was running uh, Lorraine Jobs' organization. So Emerson Collective, we worked on that. And um, I was starting at that point to kind of look around for like what's next. And um, I remember I got you know offered the dream job for me at least which was running Dove out of Ogilvy in London. And I'm like, this is amazing. Oh my God, I love the team. And then something kind of pulled me back from it. And I realized, and I think, Chase, what you said earlier about creating a business. And and, the, and that was one of the most creative things I felt like I did at pitch um, when we sold the agency, it was really ramping that business up, really understanding the fundamentals of running it. And that felt like the biggest creative thing I'd ever done. So to go take an agency job, well, it was the best, you know, possible agency job I could have imagined. I was still like, this, something's not right here. It's not scratching the itch. And um, I I started talking to different brands, um, Airbnb, Uber, a couple others. And then I got a random call, a friend like Sue was saying, your network is more important than, you know, someone I'd worked with, um, you know, peripherally for about four months, put my name in the hat for a job at Nest being the creative director. And I was like, well, look, I don't really use their products. I love them. They're yeah. great brands. You know, Should I even take the call because I wanted to be um, you know, someone that would be the best proponent of that brand? I quickly fell in love with the co-founder, the entire team. I was like, this is the place. And I loved in my interview, talking to all the different folks, like one woman that I met with, who's still a good friend. She was running Home Depot and Best Buy and all the partner marketing. I'm like, that's really interesting. I wanted to help solve your problems, so it was access to solving creative challenges that I'd never been exposed to, and that felt exciting. It felt more holistic rather than, here you guys do the Super Bowl spot or you guys do this holiday campaign. And I always wanted to go deeper into yeah. how a business runs, and 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 that that was fascinating to me. So, um, that that was kind of my journey into client side, and I absolutely love it. I mean, I. I learn every single day and I'm listening a lot more than I'm talking because the people around me are so incredible. I mean, it's like filled with Stanford MBAs and engineers. And, you know, Sue was talking about the entire product roadmap. I'm getting to see and experience things I never would have done. So I absolutely love that. Um, I would love to come back to one comment in the chat from Wendy, who was asking about, um, uh, taking care of your well-being was an earlier question um, as a woman and you know I was really late to the game in terms of taking care of myself so mm-hmm. I'm 42 now and literally only about a year ago did I start working out i've worked for 17 years and i was a art director designer i only wanted to design and i was obsessive about it and then i was obsessive about creative directing and so i always put that on the back burner and I had this, you know, my back started hurting. All these things started going wrong with me. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like I can't be a performer without a body that's functioning and, and, a me- and mental space. Like Chase was talking about a great mindset and it was all kind of coming to a head. And I remember seeing, I don't know why this was, but I saw this boxer. It was like ESPN was on in the background, I'm not a sports fan. I saw this <laughs> boxer in the ring being, his shoulders were being rubbed, water was being given to him. Someone was talking to him about his game. And I'm like, wait, like I have to create that like team in myself because no one's going to give me water. No one's going to coach me. uh, You know, no one's going to kind of rub my shoulders and keep me in the ring unless I do it myself. And so I was like, okay, this, this, I have to take seriously because otherwise I'm just going to go and burnout. You know, I'd been pushing it for too long and I was getting older. So, um, I think you have to treat yourself as the, as the campaign or as the product, or, you know, you're just as important as the things you're doing, because you can't do the things unless you have that kind of prioritization on, on yourself. So.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for bringing that back. I definitely, uh, agree with all of that. And <clears throat> in the journey of like going agency to, to brand side, I think there is just a little bit of that ownership, accountability, like just going deep. I think that's pretty awesome. There's, there are a lot of great comments around that. And it is, I think the good news is it's not like, you know, back in the nineties, when I started, it was like this, if you went over the client side, you were just like selling out. Right. And I don't think that's the case anymore. You can just find the right company, whether it's agency or brand, the one that works for you. So that's awesome. Cool. Okay. Next topic. We're just humming right along here. Uh, The next topic is what's the background of a creative leader. You know, most of the creative directors that I've worked with were designers or writers. You know, it's kind of in those two camps, but some had a technical production background. Others come from different pursuits like photography. Um, certainly anyone can become a creative director, but some of our research came from a background of illustration, but anyhow, we were curious of like, what is the majority of the background of most creative leaders? Um, not like it's a, a rivalry or something, but you know, it's just interesting to find out, you know, what are the backgrounds and do we have any biases towards one or another? So the, uh, the majority of creative directors that we found from our survey were designers, which is not surprising. And only 11% were writers. Ugh, carpal tunnel syndrome. I was kind of hoping that more writers were, were higher on the list, but it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. So let's talk about this. Chase, let's, come, let's head over to you. You've had a unique path. You started as a photographer and then a prolific writer and a podcast host and kind of business owner. And you're one of the most influential leaders out there in creativity. What are your thoughts on the core skill of a creative leader? Does it matter? Should we put value on one over the other?
0: Um, I like the question and I like it because I think we, our thinking is very narrow. Uh, and what I'm uh, an advocate of, what is the core skill you know, in creative leadership? It's leading. And what now, you're like, what is, what does it mean to lead? And do I, am a, am a writer or a filmmaker, or you have to be so many things to lead because the fundamental characteristic of a leader is that you're deciding directions, you're leading, you can sure lead from the back and, you know, guide your team, whatever metaphor you want to, you want to throw at this, the core aspect of of leadership is leading and often we can we confuse management with leadership and and the best leaders that I know have a huge range of backgrounds and what is often missed is that whatever the attributes that you have whatever those are whether you're a writer or designer or a knitter or needle I I don't care (laughs) what your craft is is if you have the ability to set a vision, if you have an ability to inspire others, if you have the ability to get the best out of your team and understand the market and all these various things that Sue and Xanthi have all talked about, like that puts you in a position to lead. The, the, the choice for you is what do you do with that? And this concept of, uh, that we have to have a specific, I've hired, personally hired hundreds of people, hundreds. And I've hired C-level people's chief operating officer, chief people officers, and, you know, individual podcast editors. And I've, one, never looked at where a single person went to school. Mm-hmm. So I know it's probably different if you're trying to get a job at a Fortune 10 company, but I'll tell you the trend. The trend is that it's becoming less and less important where your four-year degree is from. And what's more and more important is the portfolio of work. And by portfolio, I do not just mean what is in your 20 page hardbound thing or what is on your website. Your portfolio is an accumulation of skills and experiences and whether that's fundraising or designing or leading or climbing mountains, like this is what it means to accumulate experience because as Sue and Xanthi, I'm sure would verify, being a leader means being able to solve problems. And what you learned in school, I'm sorry, those are textbook, like business school case studies. And that is not the kind of stuff that you're presented with. It is never do you do the smart, easy thing or the dumb, hard thing? It's which hand do you want to cut off? You only, you only, and you do different things with different hands. And so these challenges, nothing in any linear, um, Background, whether it's designing or drawing or writing or even management, will prepare you for what it means to be a leader. So, whoever you are, whatever your background, if you choose to lead, start leading. What can you lead? How can you build up your own leadership resume? Start leading at your local, um, you know, the local design conference or at the community college. These are attributes, these are skills that you, that you, can polish and build over time, regardless of the background. The only thing that I want to be very prescriptive of is you do not look at the stats and say, if I want to be a blank, then I have to do blank. Yeah. I am a living, breathing example. I have the, the, the most nonlinear. I came from a background in soccer and then I build on medical school. And then I dropped out of a PhD in philosophy to become one of the top commercial photographers in the world. And now I'm an entrepreneur. So like that is the most non-linear. And so if anyone's telling you, you have to hit these three milestones or checkboxes in order to lead, that's not true. What you need is to cultivate a vision, a a bunch of these skills that we're talking about and start leading, start tomorrow or better yet today.
1: Yeah, right now. And I know just so everyone knows, like that was a hundred percent not scripted, but I love it. Like, I'm glad we're recording this because (laughs) a hundred percent what I've been hitting on for so long, it's like, I hit people who look at those backgrounds and the biases and be like, oh, you've gotta have this background to be a true creative leader, otherwise you're not real. And it's not that at all. I, I, I know so many who have been like an okay art director, okay writer and became an amazing creative director. So for yes, sure. it's leadership, it's weird, it's tricky, but it's a different skill. Love it, thank you. All right, so now we're gonna move over to something, uh, an, a question that is for those who are starting out. And I know like in this in this industry, we all wanna be the top dog immediately. So the question is, how long does it take to become a creative director? We decided to ask just to see what the average is, not to say that that's your answer, that's what you have to follow as far as like a a timeline, but we thought it would be helpful at least for people to see like, how long does it take to become a CD and what's the average time to get to something else? So anyhow, these are the averages that that we've come up with just to give some guidance And, and not just for those starting out, but if you're a leader, and you've got, I've got people chomping at the bit all the time, make me a creative director, make me a creative director, make me a creative director. And it's like, well, there are a lot of things you have to learn and it's not just a matter of just putting in the time or you if you're the rock star, you're the next one. So here's what we found. The average time it took to become a creative director is almost 14 years. And it takes an average of nine more years to reach the role of an executive creative director or something similar like, uh, I don't know, chief creative officer or something like that. That's 23 years, yikes. Xanthi, so you've been an ECD and a chief creative officer at multiple companies, but you did it in a much shorter time frame. So what are your thoughts on just setting expectations to someone who's chomping at the bit? Does 23 years seem right to you or does it matter? What's your experience?
2: I think it all, I mean, it all depends on where you start and and the kind of projects and, and exposure that you have at, at an early age. I think for me, I'm a little guilty of like, I got to get this all done. Like I have an urgency that um, I've had for a long time and um, I think, you know, part, partly due to a tragedy, I lost my dad when I was in art school, studying advertising. And I think having going through that gave me this sense of like, like really life is short and I would love what I do. And so it was natural for me to kind of grab as much as I could and throw myself into every single thing I did. Like, I still feel like that way. If someone gives me, a, you know, a, an assignment to do the best placemat in the world, like I'll, I'll put my heart and soul into that. Um, and, and so I think that sped things up because I had that sort of urgency inside me. Um, I think it just depends on readiness and how comfortable and and how you adapt to different pathways. Um, and, you know, for everyone, it's different. But I. I don't think it needs to take that long. I mean, that I've, I've been working 17 years and I, I was a CD probably 10 years in, but I do remember um, my, my boss and really only mentor, um, consistent mentor through my whole career, Rob Schwartz, who's the CEO of TBWA in New York. And he said to me when he was promoting me from art director to ACD, and he said, look, he's like, we can promote you, but you don't have to manage people. You can keep doing the work making stuff. And I said, and he's like, you're, you're a great doer. You, you know, you contribute a lot. And I said, but Rob, I I really want to manage people. Like, I really want to learn how to do this without touching every single thing and being able to give direction verbally and kind of bring people along. So it was definitely a fork in the road. And I chose to go, go up through management. I still obviously did a lot of the work too, but I wanted to build that skill and I was, and I was bad at it at first, really bad at it. And I had to learn, you know, quickly how to do it right. And so I grabbed every single piece of advice I could as I was coming up that way, learning the soft skills, empathetic leadership, servant leadership, all that stuff. I was like, just feeding, feeding that, um, that engine. So um, I think it's, you know, it's all, it's all based on who you are and how, what you want, you know what drives you? Um, so anyway,
1: no that's great. I think definitely the takeaway is don't worry about the time whether it happens soon or it doesn't happen for a long long time. like don't don't either beat yourself up or be you know too eager. And I think theres is, there is a problem in our industry where so many people feel like they're already a CD that they're already at that level and they're like, why don't they just give me the title? Um, we did a whole separate uh, session. If you go to Real Creative Leadership, you can you can listen to that because there's so much more that it's hard to see the perspective. I know for me, I had like my dark dark day in December where I thought I'm an ACD. Why can't I make it? You know, up to the top. And it wasn't until later that I actually saw why because I didn't have certain leadership skills and qualities that I just was blind to. So, anyhow, more on that. We're not going to dig deep into how to become a CD, but you we have more content on it. But your your answer was perfect. Thank you so much. But you brought up two things. So one thing that Chase brought up and one thing that Sue brought up um, is education. And that's what we're going to talk about next um, is education and mentorship. I think those are two critical topics. So when we researched and we you know went out there and did our our study with you know hundreds of creative leaders, we had a, a pretty educated group. Eighty percent of them had a, some sort of a degree in higher education. So they were an educated group. But here's the twist. The leading factor that creative leaders said helped them prepare for their role the most, was not formal education, surprise. Instead, the number one factor was being self-taught through books and online classes. <laughs> I'm sure Chase, for you, this is like, of course, of course, I already knew this, this this is a truth. So maybe let's talk first about being self-taught and then I'll move on to mentorship. But clearly, what are the insights that you discovered as you were building this online platform for people to self-teach themselves and become creative, uh, creative leaders?
0: Yeah, um, well, I, I've, Made, you know, spent the last 10 years of my life focused specifically in this area. So, uh, it's, it's nothing new to me, but I do believe that we all know the answer. And the answer is just experience. And the reality is that what school or formal education often does is it sets you up for, um, uh, there's a disconnect between school and real life experience, and that's not to diminish education. To be very clear, like I built Creative Live, not because I didn't think that for your institution or what you had in school or a trade organization were any more or less important. Uh, but what was, I think, fundamental to um, to experience is doing, and there's so much in education which is lean back and that is one of the reasons that mentorship is so valuable is because you get to learn not from people who are great at pedagogy or standing in front of you and lecturing you about you know case studies and about an experiences someone else that they read a study that did versus someone who's actually done the work and to to you know i, I think i have a uh, a pretty um broad uh, definition of what it means to learn. And, you know, we can learn something from a tweet or we can learn something from a panel like this, but there's very little that can replicate the doing part, which is why I'm an advocate of throwing yourself in into creative challenges, whether it's building a business like Sue and Xanthi both talked about or the craft, like at the end of the day, what craft ends up being is the get in the door right now. And to be very clear, it's like, You have to be great at your craft, whatever it is. I don't care if, again, whatever line of work you're in, whether you're a a dentist or an art director, being great at your craft, what you have been told and what school, I think, um, unintentionally reinforces is that craft will define whether you succeed or not. And what I've found is that craft, being good at the thing, that's the get in the door fee. When you are, you know, I made the professional golf analogy earlier. All of those golfers are incredible. What separates them is all of the stuff that is besides the golf. It's the mentality. It's the hunger. It's the passion. It's the willingness to engage. It's the effort. It's, you know, and, and acknowledging that we all come from all kinds of different backgrounds and there's tons of privilege built into uh, one person's background over another. This idea of taking your unique set of attributes and pushing them through doing actual work that transcends just designing and transcends just writing to living this full experience and and to connecting with other people in the community that's really what mentorship is about it's connecting with someone who's already solved these problems or has been through a lot of the same things that you are going through or about to go through so to me this is a very it's a very full and rich picture versus when we talk about learning yeah. we usually you know couch it in a classroom you know with the teacher standing in front of the you know a group of people that is why i think mentorship online learning books like all those things are mentorship at scale ultimately right yeah, if you true. read a book written by an author then what you're getting is 20 something years of their arc from being designer to you know acd to cd to ecd you know you, you get that entire arc and you start to realize if you look into the covers of anyone's story you find out that it is very is rife with pitfalls and it's two steps forward, one step back. And to me, that's learning. That is the experience that we're trying to cultivate at creative live and, and, you know, encourage you to, to learn through forms like this that you've created here, Adam. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit passionate, a little bit, fired <laughs> up. About I figured. It, but it's, it's uh, to me, you know, this, the definitions that we have around learning and school and education are, are, you know, I think they, they often do us wrong. So yeah. I'm hoping to change that.
1: That's good. Yeah. I'm
0: curious what, what Sue and, and Xanthia yeah. say about it, but. Well, I also
1: want to get into mentorship too. I I love your comment of, you know, reading a book is get, like getting a mentor. You know, it's just at scale. It, there really is something that I see all the time. Like if you want to lead, you have to read hundred percent. just, you can tell I have lots of books behind <laughs> it. Like I care about that passionately, but there, a lot of people have been kidding. asking about this, uh, this uh, topic of mentorship, because it's really tricky. How do you you find one? So Sue, why don't you jump in and just talk about mentorship? How do we figure that out? And I know there's not a perfect answer, but maybe just some good advice of where to start.
3: Yeah, I'm just reading about um, there's 30% of creative leaders, only 30% of creative leaders are getting help from a mentor. And Unfortunately, I really believe that statistic. And um, because mentorship takes time and investment, it also takes consistency and, and more than anything, opportunity. And in this business, it's fast paced and in every minute, everything changes. So you have to find someone who not only knows about the business, but who can also impart knowledge of, not just on creative, but just um, all aspects of leadership. And that's, you know, sometimes hard to find. In my experience, it's not something that's been top of mind in our industry and it really should, because there's so much that like, we've all learned by experience that we can impart, but um, in order for us to be able to do that, there has to be, we have to have time, we have to have the opportunity to like, take somebody and mentor them. And that's, you know, kind of hard. But I think in my own experience, I've learned from managers that I've admired and that I have wanted to be like, And I've also learned from those who I do not want to emulate. So Uh the good and the bad, you leave the bad, you go with the good. Um, But you really do learn as you go. And I, like I said, I didn't have a mentor, but I had great people to learn from in amongst my different positions and my different um, places of work. Um, I've recently had conversations, though, on this subject with other people in other industries. And and it's apparent that in other industries, there are mentorship programs. And someone I've uh, recently talked to has had seven mentors throughout their career, and a uh, 20-year career. And so during um, their career, they've pulled in uh, certain mentors on certain subjects, in order for them to help them with their career path, and I think that is a amazing, amazing um, thing to do if you can do it. Um, it's made a huge difference in how they've managed um, their entire life, because you mentorship also, I think, encompasses coaching and it encompasses imparting, you know, um, general knowledge as well. Um, so if you can, as a leader, I like to encourage everyone on my team to find a mentor. It's a topic I'm kind of passionate about, and I'm still learning about as well. Um, but I encourage leaders to take like coaching courses and management courses. And I think the thing you learn about as you take these courses is, uh, self-awareness and how you show up as a leader is, uh, important to the success of your team. So not only are you learning how to mentor, but you're really learning about yourself as well. And I think that's always great. Um, funnily enough, Microsoft was the first company who, that I worked for that really encouraged mentorship. And it was one of the manager's um, tasks to find mentors for their teammates and team members. Um, and it's, uh, it was a really big part of building your career at Microsoft. And there's the thing that I learned um that it's not just about mentoring um top down there's a thing called reverse mentorship and that is mentoring from bottom up so people new to the business coming in would mm. be teamed with somebody a little older who'd been at the at microsoft maybe for like 10 20 years and they would mentor the older person and that was so successful because it really had like this great cross-pollination of different experiences different cultures, different backgrounds and different knowledge. And I thought that was a really really um interesting aspect of mentorship. But yeah, I totally if you can find that right that right person, I would totally latch onto that. I also think that um look to mentorship programs, coaching programs. I think those are really great areas to start as well. That's look awesome. Yeah. um, just add a few things there. Cause a lot of people in the chat seems like
2: they want sort of practical advice on how to get a mentor and how to make it valuable. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had a variety of experiences, you know, people will approach me after a conference or, you know, blind on email or LinkedIn. Um, and I think the most important thing when you're looking for a mentor is don't be just looking for a mentor broadly, look for a specific person, and focus on that person. Um, have an agenda. Like that's the time when you should have an agenda. You should send them the agenda <laughs> of all the questions you want to have them to, to ask them while you have their ear, be prepared and and make it useful in a dialogue, be vulnerable. You know, a lot of times I'll get a mentee who is like, I got this all figured out. I'm like, then you don't need me. Like you, you should. <laughs> come to me with the things that you're really trying to work on that you might only tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, things that are are you really struggling with and I can try to help. And then ask me the deep questions, ask me the things that you're scared to ask because that's the only way we're going to build value is if I can unlock some things also and go with you back to where I was at those times. And, and like someone in the chat also said, you know, add value to your mentor's life. I think there's Amy, you know, it. you take tremendous pride in your mentees. You talk about them with your friends. You talk about them. I talk about them with my parents. Like people that I've mentored through my career are more important than the campaigns I've done because I'm like, look at them. You know, my friend Helena is now a creative director, was just a creative director at 72 and she's brilliant and she did amazing and I love to talk about her. So that that's, that's a tremendous source of pride and, and really rejuvenating when you can look at those people and go, I helped do that. <laughs> so...
0: Hey, well, Adam, awesome. I'm I'm aware of our time constraints yeah. here. I just want to jump in because I think what Sue and Xanthi are saying is so valuable. And for someone right now, whether you're in the chat or you're watching this a year from now, you're saying to yourself probably like, I don't know any people. I don't, how do I get a mentor? And what I want to discourage is this, like the only the path of a formal mentorship, because I get asked if someone will mentor me about a hundred times a week. And I basically have to say no but whether, you know, Sue talked about someone who had seven mentors in their career and those are sort of formal. I have seven mentors right now in in, in every different aspect of my life. Like Xanthi said, like people who are, who are great at one thing or another, this relationship does not have to be formal. You do not have to request and then be granted that you have a mentor-mentee relationship because they're so loaded. There's so much effort and concept around that if, if I can give you, if I can give someone in my text community who I text with, you know, a thousand people, if I can give them a piece of advice that will save them, you know, six months going down a track that's not the right track for them because of an experience that I've had, or I know someone or can, can connect them, that sh- like we underestimate the value of just information from people who've, you know, forged this path before us. So, just this, this concept of mentorship doesn't have to be so loaded and so heavyweight that it stops you from action. Like if you have, this is why community is so critical. This is why things like this are valuable. This is why going outside, having a digital community and a physical community when we can do so safely, like these, are huge attributes of being a successful leader in anything, especially in creativity because it's so dynamic. So I just want to underscore that. That don't if you if you start placing too much weight on this, you're doing it wrong. What you need to start doing is learning from a, a bunch of different people who've done the things that you want to do before you've done it, and it can save you time. I love it. This has been,
1: yes, we've skipped a lot of questions and we're going to cut to the end here now, but that this was well worth it, this topic. I think that the idea of like all of the books you read, all of the communities you're a part of, that is so fantastic and such great advice. So thank you all for jumping on that one. And we're just going to jump to one last question. We're going to talk about the future because this is really interesting for those who are already pretty deep in a career. Um, You know, when we talk to creative leaders about what's the next role, what's the next step, you would think like the natural progression for most of us would be, oh, I wanna move up to the next, you know, my boss, who's the CMO, you know, for many creative leaders, leading the brand, leading the marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, when we did the research, you know, choosing the next step as CMO was like fourth on the list, dead even with just staying a credit director. So rather the top roles that creative leaders want is CEO. They want the top spot, which is interesting. I mean, that's exactly what Chase has done. Yet almost half the creative leaders said that at the end of their career, they don't even want to stick around at their job, which is shocking. They want to start their own business or go and do something else. If you count like 75% of creative leaders were seeking to move beyond their traditional creative role. And I think that's just interesting in just our whole, this whole talk here of, you know, for those who stick it out, you know, that's really, really interesting, but really it's, it's we're talking about creativity is more than just that specific role. It's moving on to so many bigger and greater things. And I am super passionate about this because I feel like we are cutting ourselves short as creative leaders in this world, and we're always thinking, "Oh no, I just, I just got to be a, you know, a senior designer, creative director, and that, and call it quits, you know, and then go off and do freelance because I want to get back the craft, which is great. But the world needs more creative leaders. We need to start driving business. We need to, you know, drive where you know the zeitgeist of of business is going, and not just focusing just on the on our craft or our portfolio. So I feel like there is a huge next step for a lot of us as creative leaders. And how do we get there? So let's just, each of you take in you know, a lightning round. What are your thoughts on taking next steps? Should we consider, what kind of roles should we consider? Should we be CEOs like Chase and be entrepreneurs? Should we be whatever, it doesn't matter. I just love to hear your thoughts on, on taking the next step. So we'll start with Sue and then we'll go to Chase and Xanthe.
3: Um, I think it's a good goal. I think CMO or, um, I prefer CCO, mm. Chief Creative Officer, because um, I've known a lot of creative office, creative who have gone back to work gone back to school to get their MBA so they have a bigger voice and a seat at the table. And um, I, I love hearing that 63% of boards have creative leaders on them. And I think that there's a real opportunity there. And I think the CCO would be a great sort of career path. Plus you could blaze a trail for other creatives to take that career path. And I think that that's something that is really, really great. It also gives me hope because with that 67%, Um, it means that companies really have an understanding how their brand shows up and how their brand presents and how key it is to their growth and their competitiveness. So I think it's, yeah, yeah, I think I'm all for it. I think, yes, it's a great, yes, yes. we need more
1: creatives on the board of directors. I love that. Not just operations and finance. Okay. Next, Chase. Um,
0: I think that I'm not the right person to ask about moving up within a large company. (laughs) I've never been one and And I think, you know, Sue and Xanthi are both highly qualified. So you should pay attention to them. What I will leave you with is there's nothing that can replace mastery in one thing. Because once you have mastered something, and I don't care what it is, needlepoint, engine, rebuilding, doesn't matter if you're, if you are so extremely proficient and you, you truly, if you, if you have to ask, if you've mastered something, you haven't going so deep on something is such a valuable characteristic that when you mastered something what you understand is the concept of mastery and your ability to apply it to other things so whether you go deep as a photographer and then you can understand what it would mean to be a cmo or a cco you understand the ecosystem of who might i contact what schools may i attend what conferences who can mentor me these are like it's a 360 degree thinking that you can only get if you've gone deep. But again, you know, do as they say, not as I do. (laughs) I don't know. Well, that's Um, the
1: perspective. It was, you know, you don't have to do that. There are other paths. It's great. And I love this. Like, when you're good at one thing, it's easy enough to crack the next thing and apply your learning to other things.
0: Yeah. It's meta. It's the, it's the, it's the act of learning how you learn, not how everyone learns because your background and all your unique qualifiers and the obstacles you've had in your life. Those are huge wins and attributes that you should double down on. That's what makes you unique. Now, again, you know, moving up in a, within a large company, you should definitely ignore my advice and listen to Sue and Xanthi. But uh, I I do believe that what you bring to the table is uniquely you and that's where a a lot of value exists. Cool. All right, Xanthi.
2: Oh, okay, one minute. Um, (laughs) I I think it it really depends on who you are and as, as I've grown in this career, it's really looking kind of on a deep level at what you're truly good at and what you like to do. Because for me, I don't think CEO is where I wanna be. I can see being president of a small agency um, I could see myself designing wine bottle labels and Sonoma, like I just, there's any you know, building a business again, I would love to do, but I'm still looking and asking what's next. Um, CMO isn't particularly inviting for me, but, um, it's all personal. You know, it's what you feel like you'd be happiest doing and have the largest impact. So I think it's really a introspective journey.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you all for sharing that. If everyone could just hang on for just a few minutes more, we're just going to c- conclude here. I want to first, uh, you know, we've had a great discussion. Thank you personally to all three of you for joining us on the show. It's been fantastic, but we want to make sure everyone gets a chance to uh, um, yeah, just really follow up and, and learn more about each of us and subscribe to what we're passionate about. So just everyone, if you can give us a quick, where can we find you? Where can we follow you? Where can we have you as a mentor per say, you know, on, on the, on the social channels or whatever it may be. So Chase, and then Xanthi, and then Sue, just tell us how people can, can stay in touch with you.
0: Uh, I'm slash Chase Jarvis everywhere on the internet. I've got, uh, oh, one second here, I got a book that I feel like i put, you put know, my heart and soul in. Uh, it's a best-selling book in, in creativity. Uh, check that out. And Creative Live is a great place. It's where more than 10 million people learn from the top creators and entrepreneurs in the world. Awesome, Xanthi.
2: Uh, LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn, and then I'll quickly take you to email because I get lost in LinkedIn
3: sometimes.
1: <laughs> so true. So true. All right, Sue.
3: Uh, same, LinkedIn. I'm an introvert, so my my Twitter and my, uh, my Instagram, my Facebook are private. <laughs> but LinkedIn, I'm all over that. So yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. And for me, you can always join here at realcreativeleadership.com. Um, Or if you want to know more about my articles or my book or, you know, speaking gigs, it's adamwmorgan.com. And then uh, otherwise, yeah, YouTube or your favorite podcast for real creative leadership. That's what we're building. Again, thank you to our producers and strategy partners at the Stoke Group. Real creative leadership would not exist without them. Thank you. Thank you. If you need help sharing your brand story, visit them at thestokegroup.com and learn how they can help you with your projects and your clients. As always, if you missed something, you can read the show notes at the RCL website. Please visit us at our website or our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. And here's our only ask for hanging out with us today is just please go to those platforms, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, good rating, review, whatever it is. We need the feedback so we can improve and stay motivated to keep this show going. So I appreciate your engagement. We encourage you to connect, engage with all of us. That's why we gave you that information. Um, we all want to make a dent in this universe and it takes working together to get there. So that's it for the day. Thank you so much personally for joining us for behind the scenes with these world-class creative leaders. This has been a special edition of Real Creative Leadership. We'll catch you all next time. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you all. Thanks for listening to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan. And this series was brought to you by The Stoke Group. For the most effective marketing, use both sides of your brain to align your strategy, creative execution, and analysis. Connect with The Stoke Group for help designing each step of your marketing plan and creating a coherent vision. Visit thestokegroup.com to learn more.